dear friend of mine, pastor in Cabot, Arkansas. We love and appreciate Brother Tim Gaddy. Good morning, everybody. You may be seated. Oh, it's good to be at senior camp. Turn to someone and tell them they look nice. Tell them that right now. You look nice. Thank you. Thank you. Before I get started this morning, I want to say thank you to our great youth committee here in Arkansas. We have some tremendous next generation leaders in Brother Chantry Dean, Brother John Eisen, their wives, Brother Nathan Smith, his wife. All our youth committee, would you give them a great big hand? They've worked so hard to put on this senior camp. Awesome. Awesome, awesome work, and I appreciate the privilege to be here this morning. Uh, I want to thank God, first of all, as a Christian for what I heard last night. Uh, personally, for me, I want to thank God that my daughter was here to hear that. She's a camper this week. I want to thank God that my wife was here, the Nexus students of New Life Church in Cabot. I'm glad they heard that. Don't you appreciate honest preaching? Truth preaching? Amen. Awesome. And so I want to give honor to Brother Cheryl, Brother Tyler Whaley. I'm looking forward to his ministry here in just a little bit. Now, I've got just a few minutes, so I'm going to pull uh, the barrel back and, and fire away. And uh, I want you to do this. How many of you would give me your undivided attention for about 30 minutes, 35 minutes? Will you give me your undivided attention? Now, I know that especially this time of the week, we start getting tired and the guy in the bunk next to us has been snoring the last two nights, and so we're wanting to snooze a little bit, especially when the lights go down. Uh, however, we need to hear from God today, and, uh, and, and I want to I talk to you about what the Lord has laid on my heart. I'm going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Uh, senior camp has a very special place in my heart. It was 26 years ago this week that God called me into the ministry at a senior camp during a night service, and so never underestimate what can happen in one senior camp. It literally can change the rest of your life. I was prepared to go to college. I was going to make millions of dollars as a banker, and I was eventually going to have an office in the corner of the bank building with glass on all the walls, and the Lord in one night at a senior camp radically changed my direction, and I'm standing here today because of what can happen in one senior camp service. So never, ever underestimate the power of one time in the presence of God. And I give honor to everybody that's helped put this, this camp on. AV guys are going to help me out, so let's go to the word of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse 18. I'm reading in the New King James Version, and it says this, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23 says it very clearly. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Everybody say sanctify you. Sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen? 
God bless those of you standing. You may be seated. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes on this Wednesday morning on a simple subject called I Am Not Confused. Everybody say that with me. I am not confused. I want to tell you I stand here today to challenge us that God wants us to leave this camp and leave this session not at all confused about the subject matter that I will speak about in the next few minutes. If I was to define the age in which we live today in terms of sexual identity, I believe that the description that I would use to identify this time in which we live is simply confusion. There have been throughout time perversions to societal norms, times when what seemed to be a normal way of living or a normal standard uh, had perversions uh, infringed upon it. However, it seems to me, and I'm not an old man, but it seems to me in the last 25 years that there is a quickening of the pace in our culture and especially in the demise of our culture toward what once used to be considered deviant behavior and accepted beliefs. It seems as though in the last two decades or three decades that the pace has picked up considerably. Nowhere is this more evident in our society this morning than in the area of human sexuality. I've come this morning not to come in the side door and I'm not going to come in the back door. I'm going to beat down the front door today. Because I have determined a long time ago, if the world is going to be as candid as they are about what is deviant in the Word of God, then I'm going to be very crystal clear as a preacher about what the Word of God does say. Amen. Let me try to help us with the help of the Holy Ghost today. The word sexuality by definition means this, the capacity to transmit emotional and physical passion. I'm going to read that one more time. The capacity to transmit or give away emotional and physical passion. When it comes to our relationships with members of the opposite sex, I want to go on record and tell you that sexuality is not evil. In fact, it was something that was ordained by God as a way to transmit emotional passion and transmit physical passion. And so I come to this podium today presupposing a couple of very important things. Number one, I am presupposing or assuming that we are called to live our lives to honor God. Now, I'm not going to teach on that. I'm going to assume that we all believe that, that we are called not to honor ourselves or to laud ourselves, but we are called as students and young adults to honor God. We are called to give Him credit. We are called to make Him known. We are called to esteem Him and to show forth His praise. That's assumption 
number one. Students, may I just tell us that if I am a Christian, then I follow Jesus Christ. Nudge your neighbor and say, this is real deep right now. If I am a Christian, if I was to ask senior camp in Arkansas on Wednesday morning, how many of you consider yourself a Christian? Probably 100% of hands would go up. If that is the case, then I am called by the Lord to follow Christ with my life. There is flawed thinking in the world today that I can live my life how I want. If you're a Christian, that's not true. I can do it how I want to do it. I can live it how I want to live it. I can think what I want to think. That may be good for non-Christians, but once you have the label of being a follower of Jesus, that has gone out the window. Now, I don't have the right to live how I want to live. I have to live how he wants me to live. And so this will come down to how I think and what I do. The wise writer in Proverbs 16 and 25 said, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Students, to call him Lord means he's in charge. I follow his word. I follow his commandments, and I follow his principles. I am not guided by me any longer, but I am guided by his word. And so assumption number one is that we are called in our lives to honor God. Number two, everyone say number two. The second assumption I will make in teaching this morning is that the Bible, everybody say the Bible. The Bible as delivered to us is God's unfailing word for us today. That's so good, I'm going to say that again. The Bible, as delivered to us, is God's unfailing word for us today. My assumption is that we believe this book is good for us. How many believe this book was good for your grandparents? I may believe the Bible you hold in your lap was good for your parents. But how many of you teenagers believe that this Bible is still good in a culture that is shifting and moving at a lightning pace? This word is still good. This is God's word for me today. Everybody say the Bible. The Bible is our roadmap. The Bible is our directory. The Bible is our guide. If you want to know how to be a godly teenager, go to the Bible. If you want to know when you get married how to be a godly wife, go to the Bible. If you want to know how to be a godly child, go to the Bible. If you want to know how to pick a mate, go to the Bible. If you want to know how to be a good employee for an employer, go to the Bible. There is something about this book, if we will sell out to it, it'll change us. I thank God for his word. And so the Bible this morning is meant to be God's guide for our belief and our behavior. Now, 
just kind of poke your neighbor right now and say, you, you better heed this warning right here. To every 17-year-old and 18-year-old, to every 16-year-old, every college student, there is a very grave danger in substituting human reasoning for God's Word. There is a big-time danger in that. We actually have a precedent for that in the Word of God. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. In page number three of our Bible, Satan introduces the substitution of human reasoning for the truth of God's Word. We are in 2014 where people will say, among consenting adults, it doesn't matter what anybody does in the privacy of their bedroom, it's nobody's business. Brothers and sisters, students in Arkansas, that is the substitution of human reasoning for the Word of God. And that is a dangerous slope. That is a slippery slope. Let me tell you why our youth president comes to this podium and begins to teach like he did yesterday. Because we want you to be pure. And we don't want there to be any more statistics of young people that have ruined their credibility because of a lack of wisdom. Human reasoning will never be a substitute for God's Word. Now here we go. Everybody say, here we go. When we understand relating to each other in human sexuality, we got to get this. Number one. When God decided to make a companion for man. It's in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Remember, I said the Word of God is our guidebook. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, when God decided to make a companion for man. In fact, He said, it is not good that man should be alone. And every young man in this house ought to thank God for that verse. If you don't shout over anything else, you ought to shout that God put that in the Word. It's not good that man should dwell alone. And so because there was a void of a person to transmit emotionally and physically to for that man, in that context, God made a woman. So there would be an outlet for emotional transmission and physical transmission. 
When God decided that there would be a companion for a man, he, everyone say he, he made a woman. This is why I can sit on the curb of a Bible college 25 years ago and talk to a gal from Canada for four hours about nothing and have the time of my life. Why? Because he was bringing into my life someone that I could emit emotionally with and connect emotionally with. It was God's plan coming to pass in my life. That's God's plan. Number two, when physical passion is first expressed in Scripture, this is the giving and the sharing of physical bodies. It is in the exclusive context of marriage between one man and one woman. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, if you're keeping track at home, this is the first time that sex is mentioned in the Bible. The first time it's ever mentioned in the Bible. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. And so in case we're wanting to follow the Word of God, in case we're wanting to let the Word of God, the Bible, be our guidebook, when it comes to sexual intimacy, the boundaries and the perimeter that God has given for that to function is, is in the context of a man and his wife. And what we will see as we peruse through the rest of Scripture is that boundary is very, very clear. God doesn't say, well, it's in the intimacy of marriage at first, but then when you get a little farther in the Scripture, it throws it wide open. You know, if you and I were to go to Reynolds Razorback Stadium and walk out uh, on an October Saturday and, and, and want to see the, the Razorbacks play, and when we walked onto the field, there were no sidelines and there were no yard markers and there was no goalposts. There wasn't even a football. There was just guys in uniforms with a grass field that has no markings on it. There were no numbers in the stands. And the referee was to take the mic and stand at the middle of the field and say, Hello, everybody. Today we're going to play football, but there are no rules. There are no boundaries. There are no guidelines. In fact, we don't even have a ball. If you want to throw a beach ball down here, we may play with that. If you want to take the beach ball and run up into the stands and throw it off the side and chuck your neighbor in the jaw with your elbow, and if you want to fight, if you want to jump off the stands, go ahead. There's no rules today. There would probably be three or four dinglings in that group that would go, yeah. Now hear me, that would be fun for about 15 seconds. But it is the boundary that shows you whether success has happened. It's the sideline that shows you whether you're in bounds or out of bounds. It's the end zone that shows you whether you've scored or you haven't scored. Young people, can I tell you, when your pastor stands up and begins to open up the Word of God and set forth the boundaries found in Scripture, that's not him being some bully. There is success attached with that. It is only with the boundaries that we see the possibility for success. 
Can you say amen? amen? So the first time physical passion is ever mentioned in Scripture, it's in the context of marriage. Number three, God's first command to this man and this woman was to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1 and 28, the Lord gave them a command. Go have children. Be fruitful and multiply. Now hang with me. We're going somewhere today. This mandate to pass on lineage and to procreate can only be accomplished through the union of a man and a woman. Now please hear me. You talk to some of these leaders and some of these pastors, it is blowing our mind at what has happened in the last 10 years where our culture has flipped upside down to where there is an acceptance, a majority acceptance that homosexuality is an approved lifestyle. Now please hear me. I'm not here to bash homosexuals. But I'm here to tell you, if we're going to follow the Word of God, we're going to have to understand that it doesn't matter what culture says. Culture is not our guide for what is right. The Bible says that if there's going to be a union, it's going to be between a man and a woman. Tim Gaddy didn't make that up. That's the word of God. The Bible says go forth and multiply. That can only happen in the context of a man and a woman, brothers and sisters, young people. This is why we must stand up. We don't have to be mean about it. We've got people in our church right now that have come out of a homosexual lifestyle. But somebody's got to stand up and say the word of God is the word of God. I am not mad this morning, but I am convinced that his word is right. Somebody, some teenagers got to square your shoulders back. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky about it. Become convinced that the word of God is right for my life. The Word of God is the guidebook for how I will interpret culture. God defines human sexuality. Can you say amen? It's not a United States institution. It's not a European Union institution. It predates all governments. It's a God-ordained institution. Consider this. A wise Bible scholar said, if the canon of Scripture is considered as an organic whole rather than an accumulation of individual texts written and edited in the course of history, then any interpretation that contradicts another part of Scripture is not to be considered sound. I want to show you something on the screen that's going to help you when you study the Bible. Would you guys put that first mention principle slide on the screen? I want you to see this. When you look at the Bible and you hear your youth pastor saying, we need to get in the Word, we need to study God's Word. 
Let me show you something that Bible scholars around the world have said is truth. If you want to understand a topic in the Bible, go to the first time that it's mentioned in the Bible. It's called the principle of first mention. And in Scripture, the principle of first mention says if you will find out what the context about that subject is the first time it's mentioned, you will see a thread that will follow all the way throughout the rest of Scripture. This is why it is not right for us to cherry-pick the Word of God and to dive into the Word and grab one verse out and say, well, that proves my point. We don't have the latitude to do that. We've got to look at what the whole of Scripture says. We've got to look at the first mention of that topic in Scripture. We've got to look at it through the whole of the Bible and ask ourselves, what is being said throughout the whole book? This is not just a book with 66 individual books. This is one book that God ordained that would work together. It's the principle of first mention. God indicates in this first mention of a subject the truth with which that subject stands connected in the mind of God. Now, there are many schools of thought when we consider human sexuality relating to each other in this way. Some people believe that it is a nature issue. It's how you are born. One of the proponents of this was a man that you've heard of in class by the name of Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud argued that nature or genetics dictates the sexual makeup of a person. It's a belief rooted in biology that could differ from one person to another. Freud said that people have what is called life instincts or ways of behaving and death instincts, which supposes to explain deviant behavior such as injuring someone, rage, or murder. On the other side of the equation, the nurture side, is a man by the name of John Locke, who was a British philosopher. And he argued in favor of environment determining the sexual tendencies of people. That each child is like a blank slate. And how they are raised and what happens around them is the exclusive indicator as to how they will turn out in expressing themselves sexually. Now please listen to Brother Gaddy very closely. Thank you. While I certainly feel that a person's environment affects them, I'm reminded of the words of a professor by the name of Anthony E. Solon, who was a professor, professor of English at Providence College, and here's what he said. Please listen to this. If human nature is up for grabs, then the nature of our bodies is up for grabs and the nature of sex is up for grabs. The result is, in the words of Cole Porter, anything goes. Experience, salted lightly perhaps with tradition, becomes the measure of all things. It is in this intellectual context that appealing to human nature in a conversation about sexuality appears to be changing the subject. Please note, if by contrast, human nature is fixed, the good gift of a sovereign creator, then the nature of our bodies and the nature of sex are also fixed. 
These are also the good gift of a sovereign creator to be received with the purpose he assigned to them. Freedom is receiving and fulfilling that purpose. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is a very familiar verse to many of us. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, if you study the Bible, and I know there are some great Bible quizzers. How many Bible quizzers are here today? Lift up your hand and holler if you're a Bible quizzer. If you study the Bible, you're going to find out that there's some meaning behind the words of God. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says that we are called according to His purpose. That word purpose, ready? Let me give you a word for that in our language that is synonymous with that word. You ready? Tell me if you know this word. Prosthesis. Does anybody know what that is? Prosthesis. Somebody tell me what prosthesis is. You had it right, my man. What's, what's a prosthesis? Anybody know? I'm sorry, dear. Yeah. What's a prosthesis? It's like artificial or not real. An artificial limb. I have a dear friend, Darren Sargent, who pastors in San Diego. He was born without his left arm. He, his left arm only comes down to his, his elbow. And so a few years ago, he went through a process to where he would get a prosthetic arm. He and I used to have a whole lot of fun with that. I remember one time he told me, he said, Gaddy, come here. We were in Bible school together. I went running over to where he was. He said, get down on your knees and just open up your mouth. I did. I opened him. And he stuck his stub of his left arm down in my mouth. So people are walking into the student center at college, and it looks like his whole arm is down inside my mouth. It was awesome. We would walk around the grocery store, and he would be rubbing his stub. And little kids would be following behind us, and they would be looking at his missing arm. And all I would do is say, Darren, there's a kid back here. And that was a cue to him. He'd start in. He'd start rubbing his arm and saying, oh, it hurts. Oh, I wish that shark wouldn't have bit my arm off. Oh, it hurts. And the kid's eyes are getting real big. He was fitted for a prosthetic, which means something that was missing was augmented by something that was helpful. When God baptizes us through the power of his blood into his body, he takes a purpose that was missing through the sin in the garden and fits us for a prosthetic purpose that is greater than what you and I could ever fulfill on our own. We are called when we are born again to a higher purpose. Amen. We have a higher purpose. Now, I want to share something with you today that is just pretty cool to me. Because I've had people ask me before, Brother Gaddy, what, what should govern our lives when we interact with the opposite sex? What should be the things that show us the boundaries? 
So I want you to nudge your neighbor and say, get ready, here it comes. Hey guys, if you've got Genesis chapter number 3, would you pull that up please? We're going to go to Genesis chapter number 3. Look at your neighbor right now and say, it's fixing to get real in here. I want to show you something here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6 that was an aha moment to me. And we're not going to go there yet, AV crew, but we're going to go to the last slide here in just a second. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now watch this next verse, verse 7. This is, this is big. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And so man, when man sinned, realized there's a shame now attached to my nakedness and so I need to cover that up. If you look at this word covering in Genesis chapter 3, you will find that it means quite literally a covering across what is called the loins. Right here. That was the covering that man made for his sinfulness to cover up his shame. My brother and I were at a conference many years ago in Toronto, Canada, and um, we had found an Indian restaurant that we wanted to go eat at. And so we jumped in a, a taxi cab and he took us across to this Indian restaurant and um, we ate a good meal, we ate curry, and we got real hot stuff. It was awesome. So we called another cab to come pick us up, and when that cab picked us up at the Indian restaurant, we were driving back through the main thoroughfare in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I looked over to the sidewalk, just kind of looking around and seeing what Toronto had, and I did a double take. And standing on the sidewalk was a guy with a TV camera and then another guy with one of them big boom microphones on a stand that went up and then went down so they could catch the sound. And fixed from the camera, looking, the camera was looking at a woman standing on the sidewalk in Toronto wearing a bikini bottom and nothing else. You talk about doing a double take. I, I looked and I said, I looked back, I said, Todd. And I could barely get that out of my mouth. And he said, yep, I saw it. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how we're different? Guys and girls are different. By the way, ladies, have you ever wondered, wonder why God puts all these restrictions on how we dress? 
We're the ones on the front of the battle, and we're the ones everybody sees, and we're so different from culture. Do you know, could it be, and I think it is, that the reason why God gives governance in how a woman should appear, and by the way, he also talks about how a man should appear, but the reason why that is so stark different than our culture is because God knows how a man is wired. I've said it like this before. I have never heard of a woman driving down the road in a convertible and seeing a guy jogging down the sidewalk in a pair of shorts and a tank top and sweats glistening off his forehead, rolling down his back, and as he jogs by, she wrecks her car because he drives by, he jogs by. I've never heard of that happening. But on the other hand, Do you know why God calls us to be modest? Not to be some killjoy in our life. He knows what tempts the opposite sex. And so he wants to build in safety measures so that we, not, we do not unduly tempt the members of the opposite sex. This is why the Bible talks to a man and says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Why? Because predominantly, I know there's exceptions to this, predominantly women are stimulated emotionally and through touch. So back to Toronto. We're driving on past where that lady's standing there in next to nothing. And we had an Iranian taxi cab driver. And I leaned up to the guy driving the taxi. I said, hey, bro, does that happen all the time? And he said to me, what? Now you got to get the picture. We're driving down a main thoroughfare in Toronto. I said, there was a woman back there in nothing but a bikini bottom, and she had nothing else on, and they were videotaping her right back there. When I tell you, he just about broke his neck trying to look back. I was fully expecting him to make several laps around the block. But do you know why in culture, toplessness for women is the first thing to go. Because in the word of God, when man tries to cover nakedness, they just covered the loins. Now watch this. Some of y'all are gonna have an aha moment right now. Look at this in the word of God. This is in verse number 20. Adam, chapter three, Genesis three and 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skins and clothed them. One version of the Bible says that the Lord made coverings for man. 
The Lord looked at the way man had covered himself and said, that's not decent covering for your nakedness. That's not decent covering for shame. And so God made a covering. Now I want you to see a picture of what this covering was. Would you guys go to that last slide, please? This is God's idea of covering. It's right in the word of God. The first time that God ever covered up man's nakedness and his shame, he did it with a covering like this. This is the first mention of God covering mankind. It's a tunic, an inner garment worn next to the skin, also worn by women, generally with sleeves coming down to the knees, rarely to the ankles, but at least to the knees. Wilson's Old Testament word study says a tunic worn next to the skin, generally with sleeves to the knees, but seldom to the ankles. When God wanted to cover up man's nakedness, he did so from the neck to at least the knees with sleeves and said, now you're covered. This is why it is not God's will for young ladies to text young men pictures of their breasts. Because when that happens, we are saying, God, your idea of covering is not my idea of covering, and I'm going to uncover what you have covered. Here's the thing, guys. We can either trust the Word of God or we can do it our way in a way that seems right unto a man. This is why young men ought not to show pictures to girls of their private parts. We ought to be careful what kind of shirts we wear. Why? Let me tell you why. Because God already gave us the idea of covering. He already gave us the first mentioned principle of what it means to be covered and to cover our nakedness. And for me to do otherwise is to come in and say, God, that's not good enough. I'm going to come up with my own way. We have to trust the word of God. We've got to trust it. Amen. In December, I was celebrating my uh, 20th wedding anniversary. I think my wife is here today, and, and um, God gave me a beautiful wife. I looked all over the United States for a wife and couldn't find one, so I went to Canada to get one. And um, when we stood on that platform in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, in December of 1993, and we said, I do. I did so as a virgin. And my wife did as a virgin, having never had sex. And some may say, well, boy, you missed out on a lot. Well, yeah. Embarrassment. potential shame. I say that today in this mixed congregation knowing exactly what I'm talking about because I know that when I say that, I'm speaking to young ladies that are still virgins. And I'm speaking to some young ladies that are not. And I'm speaking to some young men that are still virgins. 
and young men that are not. The book of Titus gives instruction for the older women in the church in Titus chapter 2 and 3 to teach the younger women what it's like to be a keeper of the home and to be chaste. I believe that women ought to be chaste. Some of you guys are going, oh yeah. No, 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 not C-H-A-S-E-D, but C-H-A-S-T-E. That word in Titus refers to reserved or kept. It is God's plan for us, brothers and sisters, to be kept and reserved for His purpose. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Now let me say today to those who have already walked down a road of potential promiscuity and, and in your heart of hearts you may say, well, I, I wish, Brother Gaddy, I'd never tell anybody, but I wish I wouldn't have gone down that road. I'm not here to beat anybody up today, but I'm here to tell you we have a decision to make today as to the direction and the trajectory of the rest of our life whereby we can be pleasing to God. And I've never met anybody that decided to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to relate in human sexuality with members of the opposite sex in a way that's pleasing to the Word of God. Whoever said to me, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You and I can be pure. You and I can be holy. That's why Paul said, I want God to sanctify you, separate you, set you apart. Body, soul, and spirit. I want us to stand together, please. come forward this morning. I'm going to let Brother Whaley do that. But I would like us to take a little bit of time to give our bodies, our souls, and our spirit to God. How many of you, let me ask you a question real quick. Just look right up here. How many of you in your heart, you really want to do this thing God's way? Would you raise your hand? You can put your hand down. Then we're going to have to draw a line and say this is where I stand. I'm staying with God's word. I wish you'd bow your head right now and I wish you'd just begin to talk out to the Lord. And I want some young people to lift up your voice. I feel the presence of the Lord in this tabernacle right now and I feel like maybe there's been a resonating of God's spirit in somebody's heart. Help us to be pure, God. Young ladies, I'm going to ask you to lift up your voice right now and say, God, I want to be right. I want to be pure. I want to be holy, God. I want to do it your way. I want to follow your plan for my life. I'm not confused about this, Lord. I'm not confused about this message. But I'm going to follow the clear word and the direction of the Holy Ghost. Come on, young man. I wish you'd lift up your voice and say, God, I'm yours. 
No matter what's happened in the past, I'm yours now, Lord. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow your plan. I'm going to follow your direction. I'm going to let your anointing guide and cover me in the name of the Lord. I wish every teenager would lift up your hands to the Lord as a symbol of surrender to him. God, I yield myself to you. Without reservation, I give myself to you, Lord. I want to be separate. I want to be sanctified, body, soul, and spirit this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, body, soul, and spirit, sanctified for your purpose, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated for just a minute if you would. I'm going to ask them, can we bring the house lights up? Is there someone that can, uh, thank you, Brother Smith, bring the house lights up. Here's what I want to do before we take a break. In just a few minutes, I'm going to turn it to Brother Dean. I like to do this from time to time because I think sometimes it resonates in the heart of people. If there is something's been said or something's kind of lodged in your heart over the last 40 minutes or so that just resonated with you, maybe a sentence, a statement, a concept, And you want to just give voice to that. You want to say, here's what I got from here. I took this away from this session. And you want to verbalize that. I'm going to give opportunity to do that right now. This is, by the way, let me tell you what this is not. This is not uh, preaching time. So you're not going to get the mic and preach. And this is not compliment Brother Gaddy time either. The reason why we do this is sometimes what you take away from something is exactly what someone else felt, and when you voice it, it cements it inside of that other person. And they realize that was something. I heard that right. So, who wants to share something? And by the way, I am not intimidated to stand and look at teenagers until someone volunteers. So you can't stare me down. How many of you got something out of what's been taught this morning? Something. Somebody? Stand up real quick, bro. I've sworn sexual amnesty. Awesome. Sexual abstinence. Amen. It's awesome. Somebody else? Just something that resonated with you. Yes, sir. Sexuality between a man and his wife. Nothing else. Sexuality between a man and his wife. And his wife. His wife. That's what the Word of God states. His wife. Yeah. Nothing else. Good. Even if you've messed up, you can become sanctified and pure and stay pure until marriage. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody else. Yep. Man, the guys are jumping up. Um, That following the Bible is better than following what you think and what's right. Somebody else. Yeah. Hang on, Reagan. I'm coming. 
about the standards, like the tunics, and it really helped me understand what, why we do the standards. That's, that, that's what God calls covered. Good, Reagan. Self-respect. If you don't respect yourself, nobody else will. Self-respect. Three more. It's, I took out of it that it's not worth it uh, just, do it, just have, having it with all these girls when you, God has somebody for you and somebody special for you that you need to wait for. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. How many of you right now, put you on the spot, how many of you right now have prayed for your spouse? Would you raise your hand? You've prayed for your spouse. Okay, you can put your hands down. If you didn't put your hand up in the air, start doing that today. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to gather my brother and I, and we would pray together before we'd go to bed. I was like 10 years old. We had this little blue prayer rug. We'd get down between our twin beds. We were twins, and we had twin beds. That's kind of weird. But anyways, we'd get down on this blue prayer rug, and my mom would lead us in prayer. We're 10 years old, and she would say, oh, God, oh, God, would you please do two very important things? Would you help Tim and Todd to grow to be six feet tall? It's obvious God didn't answer that prayer. But then she said, God, in the right time, would you bring a spouse, a godly woman for each of them? That was when I was 10 years old. Do you know when I was 23, 13 years later, standing at a, on a platform getting ready to marry my wife, that thought went flashing back in my mind? Because 13 years previous, my mom had taught me, pray for your spouse. Thank you, bro. God does have somebody for every single person in this room. Somebody else raised their hand. Yes, ma'am. When you cover yourself, you're not only doing it to help yourself, but you're doing it to help other people not sin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. One more. One more. Yes, sir. Getting my exercise today. Not only women have dress codes. Brother Chantry Dean, God bless you, sir. Thank you for your kind attention today, guys. I love you. Let's thank Brother Gaddy for speaking truth to us right now. Come on. That's incredible stuff, and I hope you took it to heart because that's what pleases God. Amen? We're going to take a break.